This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. Deb Sofield, thank you a million times over for coming on the show. I am excited to talk to you, ask you a bunch of questions to kind of dig into what you do. Thank you for coming in. Oh, thanks so much, Chris. It's nice to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. We've known each other many years now. Sure. Um, so what I'd like to do is start with going back to your childhood. <laughs> What's uh, a story or something that happened to you in childhood that's helped shape you into who you are today? Okay, well, I am the youngest of five, the only girl. So I like to tell everybody, since I'm a speech coach, I use my outside voice inside because nobody's <laughs> listening. So I am a very loud, vivacious speaker because I just think you've got to capture people's attention. Uh, there was a rule in my family... So I'm a blended family. My father passed when I was a kid and my mom remarried a really nice guy um, who had an airplane. I'm like, boom, he's our guy. And um, <laughs> he had three blonde haired sons. And so Dave and I just fit in this mix. But there was a rule, you touch her, I kill you. So it was always a bit of protected, but also knowing that my brothers needed one more player for every sport because you have to have five. So I was taught how to water ski, how to play basketball, how to play soccer, um, touch football. Um, and somebody asked, you know, my brother Joel, I said, why, why did you teach your sister to do all that? And my brother said, we never wanted our sister to be a boring date. So I've always thought that was funny how my brothers were like, ah, you're with us. You're going to know how to play and understand because I really we hate taking girls out who they don't know anything about anything or afraid to get out of the boat or won't go do stuff. So yeah, I was thrown into it as a kid. So how did that play out as you graduated from high school and started building your own life? So I think it was just the fact that I, I was very confident that I could be bold and I could win. Uh, winning's important with sports, with boys. And it became a very important part of my life. I got into the political realm pretty young. Uh, interned in D.C., thought I would move to D.C. and take the world. And my dad's like, you have one more year of college. I'm like, no, I'm going to stay up here. And he said, if you're not home by Thursday, <laughs> okay, fine, I'll be home Thursday. And uh, I did graduate because, you know, he knew what I didn't. And that is every kid who goes to Washington um, never finishes their degree because you get a job and a job and a job and a job. And uh, he's like, yeah, not you. And so um I just think the whole idea of knowing that I always had a strong foundation. I have family, uh, a lot of friends, but also knowing, um, I think I had mentioned to you early on when you read my books, uh, when you published my books, um, I am adopted. So I always felt like I got the golden ticket and I needed to live up to that standard, which I'm, according to my parents, I have, and um, I'm proud to have done so. So why don't you tell me what it is you do now and I know you've been doing it a long time but what led you into that from well even from college what led you on this path to where you're at sure so it's interesting I told my parents I want to be a coach 
And they were like, yeah, we're not paying for that. And I was like, okay. So, um, the only thing I really was good at was public speaking. And so I started in radio and television and I had a speech teacher pull me aside and said, you're in the wrong major. You need to be public speaking. And I had a nemesis in public speaking. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time having to deal with her all four years of college. And they're like, don't worry about it. You'll be much better. And um, ultimately I'm still in the business. I don't even know what she does, but I, realized at a young age, if you can sway the masses, you can change the world. And people don't, people, they, they believe it, but until you see it in action, it really is life-changing. I teach skills. I am a public, everyone says I'm a motivational speaker. I am a motivational teacher. So I, I have a back, so out of college, uh, went on a political campaign. We did not win. It was life changing. I realized then I was never going to do. I was never going to love something so great it could cause harm. And I went to a dinner party, and someone said, "We need someone to sell." I'm good at selling. Ended up um, partnering with a friend, and we opened an advertising agency. And that taught me the whole backside of printing and TV and radio. And so I bring all those skills to the table as a national speaker, coach, and trainer. And after a few years, I sold my partnership. I hung a shingle. And all my friends were like, we're still working, Deb. I'm like, oh, maybe I should go back to work. And um, the folks who had worked with me at the ad agency started showing up saying, we need your help on this speech or we need your help with this event. And over time, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to do what I love, which is helping people learn how to speak better. So I am an executive speech coach and I work everything from people who are beginning to presidents of corporations. I work in the political realm. I work internationally for the U.S. government training overseas. So I am a corporate executive speech coach. And then I have a couple sideline businesses. As you will know, I had a radio show for years and I've thanks to you. I've published five books. And so I, it's just a, a lot of things, but everything's under the umbrella of public speaking, whether it's my interview business, crisis communication training, because it's not if, but when, and when it hits your door, you better be ready. And that takes a coach to help you craft that message that's probably coming and to make sure your staff is all on board. And then I teach presentation skills, how you present yourself to the public. And then, of course, public speaking. So what do you like better, the teaching or the speaking and why? Uh, both. Both. I enjoy the speaking. The paycheck's a lot better. Uh, the private coaching I love because I really love to see my folks succeed. And honestly, I know it sounds crazy, but I fully understand when people say this. When my folks do well on stage, I am thrilled because I know how hard it was to get there. And I'm so proud of people trusting me enough. It's almost like you have to reach your hand out and I'm like, trust me, we'll be great on the stage, but you got to listen to me and we're going to do this over and over till you get it right until it becomes natural till we have a muscle memory. And uh, I just got a, I just got a really nice, a shout out on LinkedIn today from somebody who's a newer client. She's only met me four or five times, but I had coffee, <clears throat> pardon me, coffee with a friend of hers. And at the end of the coffee, she said, all right, now I want to talk about this, the speaking thing you do to help people. And she said, my friend says, you're good, but you're tough. <laughs> I said, yes, I am <laughs> for both because um, you can't sugarcoat this. This is somebody's reputation on stage and 
they have to be good. If you're not, you will be forgotten. And this business is hard. Let me tell you, it's hard. There is always somebody willing to speak for less money. Um, there are people who will claim to speak on any topic. I'm like, don't ever do that. And then my point is don't hire someone who's not successful. So if you're a failed speaker, you're not going to be a great speech coach. So figure it out people. So that, that's yeah. where it goes. I like so that. other than being tough, mm -hmm. what is it that makes you unique among all the other speakers and trainers out there? I'm more motivational and I also have the background, whether it is radio or television and the advertising agency, you know, who knew years ago when Ann and I started a business um, that I was able to be bought out of, which gave me the money to go do whatever I wanted. I, I learned the backside of the business. So no printer is going to take advantage of my clients. No TV station is going to take advantage. You know, it's little things like in politics, somebody will do your mail. All right. And this is just, Chris, it's just a true story. They will give you a receipt where you have to ask for your receipt for how many pieces of mail they mailed to your district. So maybe they should have mailed 10,000. Well, actually they mailed 8,000 and they used 2000 for another friend. And, to, and so next, so if you don't know that to get a receipt that said we mailed 10,000 pieces, you don't know. So again, you have to have somebody who knows the inside of the business. I've been in politics so long that I, I know the players, I know who we can trust, who we can't trust. I also know what it's going to take to win. I teach at campaign schools across the country. It's not easy anymore. The public is mean. They are demanding things that frankly you can't answer. You don't know because none of us know, but there has to be a level of trust. And so what makes me different is I've been at this for 30 years. I am still successful. I'll continue to be successful, Lord willing, but I also am not going to back down. And if I need to learn, I am constantly learning. I had a client the other day and we went to dinner and she said, you know, I do this silly thing when I'm around this person, every time I giggle before I speak. And I was thinking, I've never, I've never heard that, but there is a term for it. And um, it's called laughter padding. And what it is, it's when you're not quite sure of yourself and you, ha 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 ha. Did I, I didn't know that till we had dinner and now she knows what we have to work on. But again, it's constantly learning. I've got folks in this business who are still teaching what they taught 10 years ago. It's just not even legitimate anymore. So uh, what makes me rock star amazing is I keep up, I'm good, and I've been doing it for years. Good answer. I know. How about, how about that for self-encouragement? See, I never <laughs> My friends are like, we don't have to worry about dead self-esteem. Um, but you know what, Chris, listen, when you work, it's like you, you know what works, you know what doesn't work. Somebody could call you with a big idea and you'd be like, yeah, I've seen that before. But we have to trust you to know that your team, which by the way, your team is excellent. I've worked with your team when I messed things up at KDP and some of the other places, um, they had to come in and fix it. But um, you have to have a team you trust. At the end of the day, yeah. trust is built, I believe, on success. What are some of the other valuable lessons you've learned along the way? Well, you need to learn to keep your word. And, you know, you hear this phrase and it's so hard. Cut off the bottom 10%. They just waste your time. Yeah. It's hard. You have to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. But the, they cost more than they're worth. 
And so I have, obviously, Frank, my price point is much, is high because I don't need everybody. Not that I don't want to help. I would love to. But um, it's like when people go to campaign school and they can't afford campaign school and you can't afford to run for office. I'm not sure what you're doing here. Oh, we need a, we need a scholarship. We need this. We need that. Mm, no. So we're, we're in a little tough love because if you can't figure this out now, you're taking someone's seat who might be able to win and then go do good in the world. Oh, no, there's a good, good point indeed. Wow. Um, so, okay, along the way, you've met all sorts of people. Who are some of those key influences or mentors that you've met along the way? So I wouldn't say they were mentors. I would say that I tend to, to look at people's trajectory. So I, I am a fan of Tony Robbins. Now, I'm not a huge fan because I'm worried how he's wrecked his voice. <laughs> As a speech coach, I'm worried about his vocal ability. Although, um, and, and I'm sure jumping around makes you feel good. I don't tend to do that. <laughs> but I also love the fact he puts his money where his mouth is and he gets back. And um, I've watched a lot of the other speakers. They would still sell you cassettes. Nobody has a cassette player, but they're so desperate for the final dollar. You know, you'll do business with that person once you'll never go back. So, who do I admire? I, I watch this next generation. There's quite a few women out there who I just don't care for. Um, you know, they have this rule and that rule. And, you know, in a year or two, they'll be gone because there's no staying power. And staying power is hard. So I know it sounds crazy, but I've gotten into reading the Stoics. There's a guy, oh, named yeah. Ryan, and he he's really opened my eyes to what, you know what history has shown and what we need to use to move forward, Ryan Holiday. Um, so I do I've read the books. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to start and go, this is applicable today. Which, by the way, is very concerning that this generation doesn't like to read a book. I mean, read <laughs> it on your iPad, but please read. And um, so who do I admire? I, I, I want people to be successful. I really, you know, I... I'm not a huge fan of Jeff Bezos, but you know, one thing I learned by watching him was you don't have to write a book to sell it. Hello, Amazon. And then reading the other story of Netflix, Netflix and how Blockbuster just wouldn't listen. Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy it for $50 million. They had just gone to the market and had a raise of like 430 million. And they were like, it's too expensive. Boom, you're out of business. And everyone can tell you of a certain age where the Blockbuster store was in their town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so who do I admire? I admire a lot of people, but I look for people who have disrupted something and have become successful. Why do you like to teach people how to be successful? I'm, <laughs> without saying, sounding too hokey, um, I've had great success and I know what it feels like. It's life changing. It's life changing. And if I can do that for my friends, wow, what a great gift. Because I want to be a mentor. I, I mean, I want people to look back and say, I'm here today because of Deb Sofield. And I say I'm here today because of one or two people, but I didn't have a lot to look up to because I probably was too bold as a young person. Again, when you have all brothers, it's always like, what's going to stop me? And <laughs> Yeah, you know, life stops you. But other than that, it's been a 
it's been an, you know, it hasn't been an easy ride. I think, you know, I've spoken to you in the past about, you know, there are certain places that if you're not quote a beautiful person, you're, you're probably not going to get very far and that's okay. You just need to find the back door and uh, find another way to make the stage and then do it in such a way, you know, I think some people always say, well, Oh, I'm going to go get this person. And I always say the greatest revenge is outrageous success. <laughs> yeah. just be, it's almost like be so successful. They can't help but notice you. Yep. I have heard that. So, yeah. all right. So what else is important to you? Well, you need a message. I am quite concerned when I, so every blue moon, a friend of mine, I'll see on LinkedIn, they're like, oh, I'm a speech coach. I'm like, uh, actually, you're not. I'm writing him a note, you know, like, when did you become a speech coach? Oh, well, I helped Bubba. And, you know, he said I, I helped him. Great. Because the next person's going to have a real name and you'll mess them up. And if you mess them up on stage, they're done forever. You really want that on your on your reputation? And so I pushed back against a few folks because it seems so easy when people lose their job, oh, we're all consultants. Okay. Well, you don't know much, yeah. more, but you know, now you're a consultant and everyone wants to get paid $10,000. Well, good for you. Um, I hope somebody pays you that. Uh, but the problem is everybody's willing to work for free or for product or for placement and social media has changed everything. So I think oh, a question was, why do I, you know, why do I love to do what I do? Why do I love to help people? Because I have seen, let me just say, I have seen the ugly duckling turn into a swan. And that metamorphosis is so unbelievable to watch. It's like new birth. And you just, you're just proud to have been a part of it. And I've got people, I, um, I've got people on the whole spectrum where I have been a friend, a mentor, and a coach. And I can pretty much walk into any restaurant, any I just walked through a parking lot and a woman stopped and shook my hand and said, you know, I was in one of your classes. I learned how to shake hands properly as a woman. Boom. Oh. But I, I, I couldn't find my car in the parking lot. <laughs> so I'm sure she's like, there's my favorite mentor. And I'm like, here's my car. <laughs> um, so that happens a lot. And you know, listen, it makes me feel good. When women win public office because they've been to the campaign school at Yale and they knew I was their teacher trainer makes me feel good because I want people to do good in the world. Yeah. It, it, you've talked about how the world has changed and I, it's really, it's, it's changed rapidly. What do you think about this whole influencer thing? Well, you know, if you can sustain it, more power to you. Um, I've got a few folks in my town that are quote influencers and they're good people and I wish them well. I just, again, it's not going to be for everybody. So what happened? So here's what concerns me for all the hundreds of people who claim they are, want to be four of them make it. Where did the other 96 go? And then, then they make poor choices. Yeah. And then they get in trouble. And that's where I'm always trying to convince young people you are who your friends are. Your friends are smart. You be smart. Your friends are silly. You'll be silly. And it's not that you can't break away, but the world's a very lonely place, even in crowds. So we really have to help this generation find their space and shine. 
what do you think about being a speaker and an influencer? And so I like a little bit different use of the term influencer mm -hmm. versus the person on YouTube doing silly stuff. But somebody really has, you know, visibility and influence online. And how does that tie in with being a speaker? Does that, so, is that always going to help? No, I'm going to tell you something. It's the very same thing I see in some of these big groups. They hire their friends, they sit around, and they all interview each other. And they've made enough money doing something else that they can bring this friend on. And suddenly they have a studio and they're, they're going to interview them. And then they get interviewed on that friend and on that friend and on that friend. And although I wrote that, it's in one of my stories, I wish you well. But I don't think that's sustainable. Because at some point your friends have gone out of style and now you're out of style because you never taught anything. You pontificated. You woke up one day and said you had a, you know, a one minute rule. Okay, great. Now we all know your one minute rule. What's next? So you have to, they, to be an influencer, you have to keep moving this ball forward. I believe as a coach and a speaker, I'm just helping you develop yourself every day. Every day we're better. Every time you hit the stage. So the last book that you published for me, Perfecting Your Platform, was everything I wish somebody had told me as a speaker. If the room is too cold, do something about it. Because if your audience is uncomfortable, you're never going to, they're not going to listen. But nobody tells you that. You are so desperate to get a check that you're trying to be nice to everybody, but you missed your opportunity. So step up, man up, woman up, step up. So I have gone from, Again, things I wish I had known, I put it in a book so people could learn because it is up to you. So, Chris, years ago, I was in um, Florida, terrible storm outside, middle of my talk, a ceiling tile fell, boom! I'm like, I am out of here. Um, but what would have happened if the lights came on and the speaker was gone? You really think they would have believed my message that I cared about them, that I wanted them to be successful? Mm. No, I was gone. So I can remember so clearly as a young speaker thinking I have a choice to make. I am either going to be the captain of the ship, the shepherd of the flock, or I'm going to walk out of here. And that decision has to be made right now. And I decided I'd be the shepherd of the flock. And I picked up all 900 women and we went to another location to finish the presentation. Why? Because the shepherd never leaves a sheep. And the yeah. captain gets down with the ship. And if you're strong enough, you can find safety in the shore or you'll go find, you'll leave the 99, you go get the one. We all know the story. We know the meaning. But I have said to speaker after speaker, if you are not willing to do that, don't take this microphone. Because within your audience, without a doubt, is somebody who's probably thinking about ending their life. Somebody who is so broken, they came to you for the last bit of hope. And you, you were flippant. You weren't interested. You were so proud of you that you never got your message across. And so I really instill, instill into those that I train and teach, it's not us. I learned years ago, you may not like Deb Sofield, that's fine. I'm not going to hurt my feelings. I have enough self-esteem for me and everyone else. But I say, it's like I pull myself out of myself and I put me right here. Listen to this person. This person can change your life. Don't worry about me. I don't care. I really don't care what you think about me. I do want you to hear my message. Because my message can help you be better at everything you do. And when I got that as an adult speaker, changed everything. That's a good point to bring up about that, about the responsibility as a speaker. Because I've never really thought about that either. Mm. That there is a big responsibility that you take on.
because it goes hand in hand with if speaking and speaking well can influence and help so many people it can do the opposite as well you can hurt a lot of people at the same time and so when you claim to be a speech coach and i know you don't know what you're doing and you're just needing an extra 500 bucks and i yeah. know the damage that can be done if that person fails on stage that infuriates me so i'll come after you if i know you <laughs> so yeah so. what advice do you have for people who are doing interviews so analyze me how can I be a better interviewer, even in what I'm doing today, uh, interviewing you? Well, first of all, you know I like you. I think you're the greatest guy. So I naturally have an affinity for you because you were so helpful. I mean, and you always have been. Um, your plants are a little distracting, I will tell you that. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> no, you're a good interviewer. You, uh, you allow have you ever seen an interview where the interviewer never stopped talking and this and the guest oh, never yeah. stops to speak so i've appreciated that you've allowed me to tell my silly stories and to, to kind of bring you into my world so no chris you've always been a you know it's interesting i think i mentioned that you know i've got other people that reach out who are in the publishing business but you have a hard business i mean you're going to read someone's book and think this is going nowhere <laughs> i'm not sure you're allowed to say that um yeah <laughs> You gotta have to help help us find our way, and I know when we when I first met you, if you remember, I was in a quandary. My publisher just up and disappeared on me, and and very kindly I was said, so I was told, you know, here here's somebody we've met, we like him, maybe you like him, and and we connected, and you were kind, and you listened, and you knew I was at the end of my rope. I had paid a lot of money to get this book out. Um, and it just, I didn't know what to do. So the fact that you are, you're helpful and you always have been, and I, that's your MO. I mean, I, I, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Your MO is to help people get their book onto the market. And then it's up to us to keep it moving forward. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's thanks to people like you. And this is the, the bragging point. It's we've done over 14,000 books now. It's been crazy. Yeah, but again, it's that responsibility. I think about how many people I affect through what I do. Well, oh, okay, maybe I help some people with some books, but it's like, no, it's all those authors. But it's not just there; it doesn't stop there. Right. That book is a platform. It's everybody who is reads that book or is affected by somebody who reads the book. It's a big deal, and so that's helped me, you know, take that perspective. Um, you, you talked about something off camera that I wanted to ask you about, which is speaking as a spiritual business. So when we were having that quick conversation, I have noticed that a lot of your speakers nowadays will, will veer into that avenue because I, I believe most people are in search of something. So if as a speaker, you, you, I hope it's true. You want, you don't want to be dishonest in your faith, but what I have seen is that in this business, because if you're a really good speaker, you can be life-changing. You can help somebody draw the line in the sand and say, today's the day. So I have found 
speakers who love their audience. Now that's the difference. I, I actually, I know this sounds crazy, but I, well, crazy, it's not crazy for me. Uh, when I go to a conference, I will go to the room where I'm going to speak. I'll sit there quietly with it. I'll say a prayer over the room because I want, that's who I am. It's just who I am. They don't need to know I do that. Um, sometimes the camera people are like, what are you doing in here? I'm like, I'm just, just kind of getting a feel for the room. Um, a good speaker, I believe, will do something like that. We will find a place in, because I need my message to leave the stage. I think, you know, I'm also a clergy coach. If you're a pastor or you're a preacher, or if you're a, you know, a rock for Jesus person, and your message never leaves the stage, what good are you? You're the whole idea of salt that has lost its saltiness, so it's just nothing more than throw it out. But the problem is I have too many, I hear too many speakers that are like, wow, the stage, and then they're gone. And I think to myself, but in your purview are 8,000 people. And you know within that 8,000, there are some people who you are their last hope. So it's not about you. It's about your message. And I believe that messages have to lead to hope. You know, I tell the story of Rudy Giuliani after 9-11, looked at the cameras and said, we will rebuild, we will come back bigger and better and stronger and economically stronger too. And I compare that to Kathleen, I think it's Blanco of Louisiana, when they said after Hurricane Katrina, what do you think? And she looked at the camera and said, it's hopeless. True leaders lead people to hope. And I believe as a speaker, that's part of our job. Even though I am a trainer, I train you in crisis communication because I'm telling you if somebody is injured or we don't know what's going on in the building or if there is a fire, I can't be on the, I can't send somebody out there not to have their act together, to have the emotion. I understand it's business, but these are people's lives. And I believe your better speakers are the ones who, it's, kind of, it's just got to find its way together. It's not for everybody. If you're reading a budget report, I get it. But that budget report, now I want you to take it to the next level. And I know it sounds a little silly, but behind that budget report are the numbers that feed people's families. Uh, so now there's more here, people. And you've got to find the joy in that. I just read a headline today that said, you know, um, I think it was Adam Grant. And please don't hold me to it, but it was kind of like, you know, um, just generation doesn't want to work. They only want to work three days. They want to work from home and, you know, get over it. That's just how it's going to be. And I'm thinking, okay, if that's how it's going to be, then, then we have to meet them where they are. And it's hard. It's hard. Um, I, I am a commissioner for a utility. You know, you don't get to work at home on Thursday. The, the water gets cut off. I need you there. <laughs> so every business is different, but I, this whole idea of meeting people where they are is becoming more and more needed and apparent because we have a, we have a generation of young people that are a little bit lost and they are rudderless. And if there's no one to lead them, I'm, I'm concerned. And I work with young people every day, going to medical school, dental, college, job, law. I'm the interview coach. And you know, everybody is a 4.0. Okay, great. Now what sets you apart? Did you build a habitat house? Have you gone on a mission trip? What have you done? And they just look at me like, uh, I studied hard. Well, good. You're not going to fit in in our school. So, I, you know, so now parents catch me early and say, what does little Debbie need to do? Well, Debbie needs to go do this, this, and this. 
because it has to be a mosaic and, and people want connection. And that's where I believe as a speaker coach and as a speaker, when I walk into a room and I say a prayer over my room, it's my connection. It's my connection to do the very best I can do because they are giving me their time. That's my responsibility. And I believe a lot of your good speakers, your good and great speakers, we all feel the same. The $500 speaker who, you know, just needs money to pay the bills. Boom. They don't care. Or maybe they care, but you know, it's not what they do every day. And trust me, if you're in this business a long time, you have your pattern set out. You know what you need. You know what your body needs. You know the rules that's going to take to help you be successful. Good night's rest. Don't go drinking with the crowd. That's not what you're there for. Um, I mean, there's a lot of rules. And I put it in the last book because if someone doesn't tell you, how are you supposed to know? Yeah, that's, that is the thing. You assume that they're going to know. So let's get a little practical. I, as a, as a typical kind of situation, I don't do a whole lot of public speaking. I do a lot of this kind of, mm -hmm. you know, interviews and, and speaking with people. But getting up on stage, I've done very little of it. In three months, I've got a talk that I'm giving as part of a, a group, and I've got about an hour and a half. What are your suggestions for me? Tips, mm -hmm. techniques, things that I should know? All right. So, I don't know, and Chris, I haven't seen your speech yet, but I without a doubt, probably would say to you, make your ending the beginning. Nobody has time mean? to build to wow. When we were in English class, you uh, had to build to, I, I think it's someone from English needs to call me back. If you build to the denouement, you don't do that anymore. This is a TikTok generation. Boom. What do you have to say to me? And then you back it down. Problem is everybody wants to build to wow. Now, one thing I learned on radio I am literally a centimeter from the next station. So if I don't come on with something very interesting, boom, they're gone. She's not interesting. Click, let's go somewhere else. So you're, and I never let my speakers walk on the stage and go, well, good morning. You're the third speaker of the morning. We've already heard that. You walk on stage and you say, did you know in America today? Boom, I didn't. Um, facts, figures, yeah, figure it out. There has to be a story. It has to be your story, not someone else's story. It has to be real. Um, nobody wants you to speak for an hour. I mean, I mean, I love you. I don't want you to speak for an hour. <laughs> um, have you ever heard an audience? I mean, so it's rare that, I mean, honestly, I've had it happen a few times. You could have gone on all day, but most people go, oh my gosh, they went on all day. Um, no, nobody wants, so you start late, you end early. I mean, who minds if you end early? Nobody. Who minds if you go over? Boom. Especially between you and beer. Bam, you're done. So, <laughs> you know, I'm in the ending speaker. And so here's the deal. If you're the morning speaker, it's a little more um, educational. Facts, figure stories. If you're the afternoon speaker, moving more towards stories with fun information. If you're the evening speakers, no facts. We want stories. What do we do when we come home after work? We click on the TV. I want to be entertained. Yes. So if you're going to come and rah, rah, your campaign speech or no, nah, I'm done. I'm not listening. I'm going to go find something to do. So again, time of day, audience, temperature, where are you? All those things have to be taken in consideration. If you want to be a rock star speaker, if you want to be average, then do what you're always doing. But I would say start with the end in mind. Stephen Covey was right. So you've got to know your audience wants to know. And you're also, your audience, also, there's one more thing they want to know. How long are you going to speak? So I know it's a broad brush stroke. Men like point of time. 
Women just need an idea. So we'll be out of here. Gentlemen, we'll be out of here in 58 minutes. Ladies, we'll be out of here before Macy's closes. <laughs> so I've spoken to both audiences. They both kind of get it. And they laugh and they chuckle, but they need to know because if you're speaking for an hour and we get to the 45 point and I'm thinking to myself, is this, do we go on? Can we run and go get lunch? But if I know when you say we're going to be out of here in 52 minutes, I'll be like, well, he's only got seven more minutes. Tell your audience where you're going. People, speakers don't do that anymore. And I'm like, why? They want to know. They want to know. But I, nine out of 10 times when I have to have a president of a corporation, I make the ending the beginning. The great story, I had a client call, actually the wife called and said, my husband's president of a corporation, the stock is in the tank. We've had a terrible situation. Everyone's mad at him. What are we going to do? And I said, okay, I'll be happy to come. And I go and I have to meet him at the house. Your wife has to be there. Because he didn't want anybody to know he had a speech coach. You know, <laughs> I'm president of the corporation. Um, and so I walked in and I said, all right, let's talk about the stock. No, 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 we can't talk about the stock. Mr. We have to talk about the stock. This whole audience wants to hang you. <laughs> we have to talk about the stock. So we set it up in such a way that he told me the true story. Um, product got stuck off a ship in California and due to, I guess, union issues or something, it didn't make it to port. So they missed the Christmas season. You can't miss the holiday season, people. But he did. So, boom, nothing worked. And everyone's mad. He's the new president. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to walk. <clears throat> we're not walking to the seat of power, which is the lectern. We're going to go halfway. We're going to spotlight you. And you're going to say, before I begin, let me tell you what happened to the stock. And we told the story. And then we went to the lectern podium, figured out the ending. And he told the story. When he was done, Chris, longest applause ever. Not one question from the audience. Wow. They called me going away for a weekend. He was so relieved. She was relieved because she knew how, how much it weighed on him. But what do most people say? Well, let's just hide. Let's just hide. You can't. You've got 800 people who want to know what happened to the stock. And you know what? We laid it out. This happened. We made a mistake. We're never going to this port again. We're going to make a change for next time. Um, hang with us. We're doing the best we can, but fighting me now doesn't fix it because you and I both know, or if you don't, let me just, let me just tell the audience, questions start a fight. You don't want questions. Mm -hmm. If I hear you as a speaker, Chris, and you get a question from the audience, I will craft the answer to that question into your next talk. You never should get the same uh... question twice. You're lazy if you get the same question twice. Even if you have to say, you know what? People often ask me, Boom, answer it. Because if you get an audience member who suddenly gets the spotlight effect, who now thinks they're going to take you down, they're going to take you down. And the audience is more mean and angry than I've ever seen before. So my job is to protect my speakers. And I do that by, if, if I've had that question, I'm answering it. That's one less thing you have to worry about. So, if I start with the end in mind, or if I start with the end, what do I end with? You're probably going to wrap it back up again. Again, I'd have to different hear... Different bow? Pardon? A different bow? Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of a recap of what, what we were. But again, I've probably cut your speech in half by now. Mm. Since we started at the end. 
and that allows a time for Q&A afterward. And remember, as a speaker, you're double checked by your ability to answer questions. So you better be ready. Yeah. What about humor? <laughs> That's tough. I'm going to ask that you maybe find a quote, um, something for Reader's Digest. You've got to be careful. If it's not funny, my line is, if it's not funny, don't use it. Why? Everyone is waiting to be offended. I mean, that's, I have uh, 15 rules for the road. That's rule number 10. Everyone's waiting to be offended. It was funny with your friends, you know, Monday morning or Friday night at the, at the bowling alley. It's not funny Monday morning at the office. They will forgive you, but they won't forget. And you didn't mean to do it. I don't know anybody who wakes up and says, ah, today's the day I'm going to offend them. No, but you say something <laughs> silly and they get their feelings hurt and then they call you all sorts of names. I think to myself, but you've known me for 20 years. You know, that's not who I am. But I said something stupid, silly. I thought it was funny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard. You've got to be careful. So I, I, I believe I mentioned this to you. I actually have a Excel spreadsheet. I have like 1,683 quotes. Every time I see one, I do a cut and paste. Because I'm a speaker and I have this great... I'm very honored to always be invited back again. I'm like, you had me last year. <laughs> like, well, we want you back. <laughs> so um, because of that, I I have to have new information. But you need to have a few mm -hmm. quotes that mean something to you. Quotes also help your audience realize that you're intelligent, that you you read, you're widely read. Um, I, I always ask yeah. in one of my uh, public speaking classes, and I teach public speaking for your non-listening audience. But for one of them, I I say, so who's learned a new word? And they look at you like, hmm, all right, you're intelligent people. Who's learned a new word? And it's amazing how no one has. And I'm like, hmm, some of you need to. So uh, new word, yeah. Joe Kennedy running for president. He coined a word called malinformation, meaning information the government doesn't want you to have, but they know is true. And he's just created this whole new word. I've got a new one here too. Hold on. It's actually, I think it's on my computer. I'd never seen this before. Oh, uh, I put it somewhere. It, it's fascinating. It's, oh, here it is. New, I called it new word. The new word of the day is sputtle. Sputtle. Oh. It's a 17th century word uh, that, pardon me, uh, to work ineffectively, to be extremely busy while achieving nothing. You are sputtling. <laughs> I love that word. So what's your new word? I'm always surprised they don't know. I'm thinking, I thought you were supposed to be smart. You have to be one step ahead of your audience, Chris. That means we always have to be learning. My, yeah, that laughter. I just, yeah. I, I never, I never heard it before. And now that I have, I have recognized it in a few of my clients. Yeah, that's a, that's a good advice for me because I'm one of those people who always thinks I'm funny <laughs> until my... Until my wife tells me otherwise, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. And yeah. slowly I've learned to keep my mouth shut when I think I'm going to be funny. I, it doesn't work every time, but it's greatly improved. <laughs> now, you know, and, and here's the good news. The more you do it, the better you become. I, I was the MC for an event. I MC a lot of events, and they were supposed to speak for a minute. Well, of course, they're politicians, and I'm like, okay, hey, guys, a New York minute, not a Southern minute. And the audience just broke out in laughter because Southern minutes go on very long. New York minute, let's get it done, people. Come on, come on. Uh, but I had to break the ice. I couldn't offend the speaker. 
but I had to let him know we got to keep moving here because I got seven of them. Yeah, seven other. I mean, I yes. So good advice. So, all right. Uh, parting wisdom. What What are some parting words of wisdom to leave us with? Love your audience. Find a reason to love your audience. Once you love them, you be be you're better. They're better. They feel it. They know it. If this becomes rope for you, walk away. You're just not good anymore. Find a new audience. Help, help younger people find their audience. Listen, I get it. And, and as I get older, I wonder when is someone going to say, well, when is she going to leave the stage? Because there's just so, <laughs> much, there's just so much money out there. And you know, if I, if I never leave the stage and, and honestly, I have thought that about some folks I had seen at NSA, when are you going to leave the stage? I mean, your, your story's not even funny anymore. Um, there's a gentleman who used to be very heavy. He lost a lot of weight. He still tells the same stupid fat jokes. Well, you're not heavy anymore. It's, it doesn't, and your audience is like, we don't understand. If you'd never seen him before, you didn't know he used to weigh like 700 pounds. I mean, it's an amazing life story, but that's not what he tells. He keeps telling his fat jokes. And I just think, time to leave the stage. So I think there's that. But I would also say this generation, this generation needs us now more than ever as a friend and a mentor. But I also want you to find some new words. I was on a plane the other day and I read an article about brutalist architecture. I, I didn't know what it was, but come to find out, my museum of art in my hometown is brutalist architecture. It's that Soviet style. It's that concrete, sharp oh. walls. Makes perfect sense, brutalist architecture. So grow your vocabulary. You know, it's interesting. We think we're smart until we meet smart people. Oh, man. Amen to that. And then you realize, I need to do some more homework. I need to, you know, turn off Facebook and go read a book. Or I need to go understand what's going on in the world today. So my parting advice is do your job. Do your homework. Do your job. And be the very best. And, and I know it sounds silly. Um, you're just not that important. So be kind. And, and I'll leave you with my quote from Mark Twain. Kindness is a language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. And I believe this world needs kindness. Beautiful. <laughs> what is the one place you like people to go to to learn more about you? Sure, thanks. Uh, visit my brand new website, debsofield.com. Uh, S-O-F-I-E-L-D, sofield.com. A lot of information's there. Awesome. I'm excited to check it out myself. <laughs> yeah, Chris, yeah, it's new. Yeah, check it out. Good, good. Awesome. Thanks so much, Deb, for coming on. Thank you for having me and have me back anytime. You got it. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.